I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, starting May 6th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I, uh, <laughs> Robert Evans, Behind the Bastards podcast. This is introduction. Not very good. I liked it. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you for lying about it being a good introduction. But you know what is good, (laughs) certainly better than my introduction, is our guest for today, Mr. Andrew T. (laughs) Fuck yeah, what's up? I'm alive, can't kill me yet. Nope, nope, can't. So you have made it through the Rona so far, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. uh, I I, I have to say, your hair looks as badly in need of a cut as mine does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I... I can't decide. Are you? I, I'm like debating whether to just shoot the moon and grow it to like donatable lengths. Yeah, fuck or, yeah. Or shave my head. I don't know. It's it's unpleasant. It's it's at the very unpleasant point of the uh, growth. Like it, it like yeah. I hate to the it. Back of my neck. It's fucking disgusting. It's terrible. But yeah. we could do. What if we did like a locks of love thing? But instead of for people who need hair, it's for like weird horny people on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, yeah. Yeah, we raise money for some charity. I don't know what kind of charity. Like, uh, Bombs Not Food, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a charity. I mean, it could be like sort of an OnlyFans situation. Yeah. I imagine the recording of exactly. either cutting it will be, will be useful to somebody. Yeah, that'll be a- ASMR for some very weird person. Yeah. And, yeah. So, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> As a general rule, when you and I get together, we talk Fuck about yeah. a horrific story of colonial genocide, um, That's right. which is what our friendship has been based on up until this point. <laughs> Even it's, before the podcast. That's the yeah. fucked up part. 
Yeah, I would just call you randomly in the middle of the night and be like, have you heard about what they did to Haiti? <laughs> and I'd be like, nope. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> today, though, today we have a story that's horrible, really, really horrible. But it's actually a little bit of a reverso because it's like in part the story of a, this weird belief system from Europe being adopted uh, honestly by people in a colonized nation and then used to justify uh, horrific misbehavior on behalf of cult leaders. So that's kind of hey. cool. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Cool. New shit. Yeah. I guess you could call it a type of, I don't know. I don't even know what to call this. It's a real motherfucker of a story, though. Um, mm-hmm. This is the tale of John of God. Have you ever heard of John of God? I've heard of neither John yeah. nor God. So okay. no, no John of God. <laughs> Now, people might be confused. There's an actual, like, uh, Jesus-y guy, like a Catholic person called John of God. I think he's a saint or some shit. This is not that guy. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is a modern uh, spiritual medical grifter, uh, repeatedly endorsed by Oprah Winfrey, who turned out to be a mass rapist uh, and possibly a baby farmer. So... That is, uh, <laughs> that's what we're getting into today. You're welcome, Andrew, for booking me. Fuck. You. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's it's going to be an interesting tale today. <laughs> um, but before we get into John of God's story, we have to go back in history to the mid-1800s and to a man with a, what I would have to say is one of the most unreasonably cool names I've ever come across in my research. Are you ready for this name? You're not Punch ready for it. this name. Nobody's ready for this fucking name. Hippolyte Leon Dinizard Reveil. That is a fucking name. Hippolyte Leon Dinizard Reveil. That is a fucking name. Like Reveil is like so what a I like like going like subtle on the on the final landing. It's just like yeah, yeah we could do it normal. We can do it normal I like last that name. Fully 50% of his four names sound like Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a Hippolyte. I've got a Dinazard. It's fucking rules. So Hippolyte Leon Dinazard Reveille was a French educator, uh, and he wrote under the markedly less cool pen name Alan Kardec, which I don't understand. If you're Hippolyte Leon <laughs> Dinazard Reveille, you lean into that shit. Like this guy did not know what was clickable. Very frustrating. That's um, wild. Yeah, that's giving up. Speaking as a guy who's named after fucking the Godfather guy, like, and like that's that you don't give up the gift of a name that cool. Very frustrating. <laughs> so anyway, under the boring name Alan Kardec, he wrote a series of books about spirits. Uh, and and Kardec's core contention was that all living animals were inhabited by immortal spirits that bounced around from body to body over the ceaseless aeons. Uh, Kardec. <laughs> also believed that spirits could become disembodied through a variety of causes and that these free spirits could impact the world in positive and negative ways. Kardec's theories became the religion of spiritism, which is still practiced around the world today. Uh, And it is particularly popular for reasons I don't really understand in Brazil. It has something like three million adherents there. Damn. Yeah. That is... I guess it, it it's it's sort of like a French version of sort of like an animist type religion, right? There's yeah, I there's... I think I think you're 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 very keen to recognize that because I suspect it has a lot to do with that. And usually, spiritism winds up being kind of like a spiritist Christian hybrid. Um, mm-hmm. 
And it does, you're right, it kind of does, because a lot of these places had sort of animus traditions prior to Europeans coming in and fucking shit up, and so spiritism <laughs> felt like this kind of genuine synthesis of these old traditions with, you know, the new Christianity. I think you're probably I, onto something there. I guess that's kind of the shit that happened with, like, Catholicism, you yes. know, in, in South America, where it basically became, saints became a pantheon. Yeah, or the polytheism. It's like, yeah, it's fine. Just a slight emotion, and they're everyone's the same. Yeah, it's whatever. So we don't hear a lot about spiritism today in the United States, and probably the reason why is that um, a sizable number of what were originally the religion's chief pillars have just become normal facets of like fringe spirituality. Like a lot of mm-hmm. stuff that was originally part of this spiritualism religion that Kardec cooked up just kind of became things that like people who like crystals all believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and even Christianity, kind of like mainstream evangelical Christianity in the United States has even absorbed a number of spiritist beliefs, or at least different Christian cults around the world have done that. Uh, and in a number of places, including Brazil, this has led to spiritual healers becoming a very big deal. Spiritual healers are individuals who claim to be able to carry out magical healing sessions because their bodies act as conduits for dead medical doctors, saints, and sometimes just God himself. Now, in the United States, this is often seen in Pentecostal communities, who I talk about a lot right. because people need to know more about them. They do. Have you ever seen like spiritual surgery sessions? Oh shit! Um, I feel like I I can imagine it, but I can't think of one. But yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's kind of like like laying on of hands type shit and laying on of hands. But then they'll like pull their hands away. They'll be like, "Oh, there's a tumor inside you. The god, the the devils put a tumor around your heart." And then they'll pull their hands away, and they'll have like a bunch of bloody pieces of meat in their hands and it's almost it's it's always like chicken or something like they get guts from like an animal and they do sleight of hand like magician shit yeah. to make it look like they're kind of like that guy in temple of doom pulling out you know right right, right. organs um yeah like that's that's a big thing in the united states um and that's it's it's amazing. it's cool yeah. It's a big thing in the parts of the United States that I'm going to guess most people don't know anything about. Like, most Americans would be like, this isn't a big thing in the United States, but you're wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's I huge. mean, it is, it is like, nice how the state of the art of, like, 16th century magic has mm-hmm. kind of remained the same. It's yeah. like, if you can palm a chicken heart, you can get away with a lot. Yeah, the most important thing to realize about just the world is that people have never been dumber than they are now, and they have never been smarter than they are now. Human intelligence, yeah. regardless of the actual amount of knowledge that exists, is a flat yeah. plane. Um, yeah. 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 So, yeah, uh, spiritual surgery is a thing that happens here in the United States, and it's a thing that happens uh, all over the world. Uh, the various kinds of spiritual healing traditions have e- existed since time immemorial. There's like a, a whole tradition of it over in India that has nothing to do with Christianity. It's like shit like this has been happening for thousands of years, right? Um, but over in Brazil, a combination of spiritism and Christianity has created a thoroughly unique tradition of what is generally called psychic surgery. Now, unlike most similar traditions around the world, in Brazil, this psychic surgery often includes real cutting, with surgeons using actual knives on the eyes and bodies of their patients. So that's a cool what? wrinkle. That's fucking crazy. Oh, God. I mean, I guess it's like on some level, it, it, it's it got to be a little bit similar to like, you know, 
um, an alchemy yeah. thing where it's like, you know, sometimes it, the problem is just a little bloodletting is needed or like yeah. pressures building up and like that will work occasionally. Yeah, and it's kind of like, you know, um, people who, for, like, whatever reason, because of, like, a depressive disorder, cut themselves. Um, Like, they feel, like, they tend to feel relief for one reason or another, and it's, like, because it it releases endorphins and stuff. So, like, you do that in the context of a powerful religious experience, and it can feel really good to people. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so... Anyway, yeah, uh, the Brazilian to first pioneer this technique uh, was José Pedro de Ferretas, or Zé Arigo. According to his autobiography, an obviously problematic source, he started working at a mine until age 14. Uh, in 1950, at age 29, um, or he started working at a mine at age 14. And in 1950, when he was 29, he began to suffer a series of blinding headaches, followed by hallucinatory trances. Uh, this all culminated in his body being taken over by the spirit of a bald German man in a white apron with a massive team of spectral doctors and nurses at his beck and call. So he's got like a whole German surgery team in his head. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, this this magical dead German was Dr. Adolf Fritz, a field medic in the German army who died in the trenches in 1918. Um, which is cool. So <laughs> this, it's 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 bizarre that like this Brazilian mine worker would choose like it's got to be a German field medic. That's that, but it, that's that's what he picks. Um, and I guess we all consider Germans trustworthy. I can't think of anything mm-hmm. in history that would make me not trust German doctors. Um, so yeah, that scans. So, uh, together, Dr. Fritz and Zé Arrigo had a wildly successful 20-year career performing surgery to adoring audiences of as many as 800 followers at one time. Zé Arrigo would go into trances and become so taken with the spirit of Dr. Fritz that he would grab random kitchen knives and use them to cut out tumors and the like from his patients. He became known as the surgeon of the rusty knife, and this was not like a... (laughs) Nobody was, like, talking shit at him by calling him this. (laughs) (laughs) That's a... (laughs) That's, like... That's some shit... That's like a prison nickname. The surgeon. Yeah, that is like a prison nickname. Yeah, like if you're if you get like locked up and they're like, oh man, that's the knife. That's the rusty knife surgeon. Like that's the dude you don't want to fuck with. That's like the butcher bill motherfucker, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that's that was a compliment. Yes, that was a compliment. Yeah, because like that's that's part of the evidence to these people that he's like so clearly holy and sacred is that it doesn't even matter that he's using a rusty knife because and again, you'll see this throughout the whole episode and all these guys we talk about. Like part of the thing everybody focuses on is that like none of his patients feel any pain. None of them get infections, even though, you know, he's just cutting them with a dirty knife like that's how holy this is yeah uh so that's cool and yeah you know what it's cool yeah that you know blood of jesus that works it's fine yeah antiseptic largely yeah the blood of jesus is profoundly antiseptic um Mm -hmm. yeah so he prescribed various medications generally a mix of herbal remedies and complete nonsense his patients could redeem their prescriptions at a local pharmacy run by his brother the height of Zé Arrigo's career came when he removed a tumor from a popular senator. He was arrested in 1956 and convicted of practicing medicine without a license, but he was pardoned by the president of Brazil. In 1962, he was arrested and jailed again for the same thing, but the police allowed him to continue healing from his cell. He died wealthy and beloved in 1971 due to an auto accident that his spirits failed to warn him about. So... <laughs> 
Yeah. This guy would be like an amazing character in like a Batman video game, I feel yeah. like. He feels like real final boss energy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he's we're just getting started with Zay Arrigo. So Zay Arrigo dies, and in 1990, this guy Rubens Feria, who's a 44-year-old engineer and software salesman, um, kind of looks back in history 19 years and is like, this guy made a fuckload of money. What if I start claiming to channel the spirit of the same dead German guy? So... <laughs> Next up, Rubens Ferry has like, Dr. Fritz is in my head. And he starts like pretty soon. He's attracting crowds of a thousand people every day to this giant hangar style building he buys in Rio de Janeiro. His patients were renowned to feel no pain even when he cut into them. And they reportedly never got infections from all of his eyeball scraping and body gouging. Uh, Christopher Reeves is reported to have visited Mr. Feria for healing. Um, It didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> boom too soon but boom yeah i mean it, it just i'm not making a joke it just it clearly didn't do the trick yeah seriously damn yeah dog. i mean that's a bummer he seemed like a nice guy but yeah this was not the not the treatment so uh yeah. in 1995 mr feria married rita costa at age 34 he dumped her a few years later for a 19 year old friend of his daughter's uh mrs costa reported her former husband to the police for non-payment of taxes the police confronted him during a surgery in rio and arrested his bodyguard for possession of an illegal weapon that bodyguard then testified that he'd been secretly helping his boss dispose of the corpses of a number of patients who died as a result of mr feria's hacking on their bodies so it turned out like a bunch of people were dying and getting infected and his bodyguard oh. was just throwing him in a hole. I guess I was yeah. going to say, like, what does it take to have the confidence to just cut people with a fucking rusty knife? And I guess it is you just have to you have to break a few eggs to make a yeah. magic omelet. I, you know, I've always said there's no nothing builds confidence like having a large, heavily armed man willing to dispose of corpses for you. That really mm-hmm. that's all any mm-hmm. of us really needs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's <laughs> I guess that's you for most people that uh, I know. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll do a little bit of corpse disposal. You know, it's yeah. like a, yeah. So uh, a raid on Rubens Ferrius compound revealed more than a thousand boxes of conventional prescription medications, suggesting that the spiritual healer was actually practicing traditional medicine, but just without <laughs> a license. Uh, he was arrested in jail, but while his district police chief agreed that uh, Ferrius needed to be locked up, he still professed a strong belief in the myth of Dr. Fritz, telling the Guardian, in my opinion, I think that Dr. Fritz does exist, but that Rubens Feria is doing things that he shouldn't. So I think he's really channeling this German guy, but that doesn't mean he's not committing <laughs> crimes, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Really threaten so the good. needle. Thanks, Doc. My, yeah. my favorite is... That That reminds me a little bit of... Um, I, I've, I've known various people that have gotten out of Scientology, and yeah. the worst of them sometimes say shit that is basically akin to like, well, I don't agree with all the homophobia and all the cult stuff, but obviously Xenu is real and, you know, controls our lives through us here. You know, shit like yeah. that where I'm like, you know, it's it's like it's just about the practice of it, not like the underlying like logic yeah. of it. It's amazing. Hey, I mean, you know, I I I worship L. Ron Hubbard, not for his <laughs> spiritual teachings or or any of the things he wrote about space aliens, but for his ability to get boats full of young people to search for gold <laughs> that his past life buried. That's exactly, exactly. that's what I celebrate about L.R.H., <laughs> <laughs> um yeah 
So, yeah, this all is the background, I think, that's necessary to understand John of God. So, uh, on November 17th, 2010, Oprah Magazine writer Susan Casey published an article about her visit to Brazil, where she'd met with the country's new hottest psychic surgeon. Oh, boy. Joao Teixeira de Faria, better known as John of God. This sparked a visit by Oprah herself and an avalanche of uncritical positive stories about how cool this new John of God guy was. For the first time, a Brazilian psychic surgeon attracted mass interest outside of Brazil. But foreigners had been trickling into the country for years before that, and one of them, an American named Heather Cumming, wrote a book about John of God, the man who became her guru. It is a thoroughly uncritical work of puffery from a woman who clearly <laughs> worships her subject, but it's also our best real source or our best source on the early life of John of God. So I'm going to start by reading from that, uh, and I'm going to give the caveat that this information, this is all information that a mass rapist cult leader wanted to convey about his early life. So, you know, noted a little bit of salt here, <laughs> here and there. So, uh, Joao. Tixera de Faria was born on June 24th, 1942, in the poor village of, oh boy, Cachoeira de Fumacha, in the state of Goias in central Brazil. His mother, Dona Luca, was a popular member of the community and a dedicated housewife. Uh, John of God would later speak highly of his mother, and I have no reason to suspect she wasn't a nice person, other than perhaps the fact that her boy grew up to a mass-raping cult leader. Mm -hmm. The biography of John of God continues, quote, in the 1940s and 50s, there were no paved w roads or infrastructure in this part of Brazil. The roads connecting the towns were dirt, studded with cattle grids, and wound their way through farms and villages. When construction of paved roads began in the late 1950s, Joao's mother ran a small hotel and cooked the, for the road workers to augment the family's meager income. Joao often says that his mother became famous for her delicious cooking. His father was less successful. He was a tailor and owned a laundry business, but money was not great, and young Joao and his four brothers and one sister lived in constant economic anxiety. Young John had to work from an early age, starting as a cloth cutter in his father's shop at age six. He only attended two years of primary school before economic necessity forced him to end his formal education and take up a series of increasingly brutal jobs. Now, that's what his biography says. That's not the only version of that we have. A 2005 <laughs> ABC News profile on him uh, notes that based on interviews with people from his hometown, uh, quote, he is said to have been so rebellious that he was thrown out of school after the second grade and could not keep a job. So that's a, a different version of his background. Sure, sure. Yeah, but probably either more. way. Yeah, shit, shit was. Yeah, he had to he had to do some shit. He got up to some shit and did some shit. Yeah, and the he the age of seven. Yeah, and he had basically no school and he, he never learns to read or write. That's 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 the important thing here. Um mm -hmm. yeah, never a, not a not a reader, this guy. Mm -hmm. So um his biographers though claim that he worked many jobs as a well digger, as a bricklayer, and you know, generally they say that he spent his late childhood and early adolescence in hard manual labor. Uh, he learned how he never learned to read or write, but he did learn how to play pool, and this provided him with something of an escape from the dreary existence poverty had forced upon him. John's biographer claims that he was a brilliant natural clairvoyant who earned pocket money by actively <laughs> prophesizing events at the pool hall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Dumb. very funny. 
because she notes that, quote, after being given money, he would return to the pool hall. He is an excellent pool player to this day. And I can't prove what I'm going to say next in any way, but my suspicion is that there is a germ of truth to this, but that he's not clairvoyant. John just discovered he had a knack for pool hustling and various forms of cheating that required quick hands and charm. This is a guy who would go up to spend his life doing sleight of hand stuff to giant crowds. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's he's a pool hustler as a kid makes total sense. So I think that's what's actually going on here is he's like, yeah, yeah. he learns how to hustle at a pool hall. Um, well, it's also like you can the range of predictable items of things that could happen in a pool hall is like, yeah, finite and like less than 30, I would say. I feel like you could just shoot shoot a lot of shots in the dark and that shit's going to come true eventually yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he, he spends a lot of time as a kid in a pool hall. He learns sleight of hand. He learns how to uh, how to grift. Um, and yeah, the 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 uh, yeah. So so far, the biographical information that we've got from his uh, his biography by his follower Heather Cummings uh, has been broadly reasonable. Um, this changes with this next paragraph. Quote: uh-huh. He also remembers walking into the fields with the villagers and pointing to roots and plants that would heal their ailments. The first recorded occasion of Joao's uh, paranormal abilities took place when he was nine years old while he was visiting family in the town of Nova Ponte with his mother. It was a beautiful cloudless day, but Joao had a premonition that a huge storm was coming. He began pointing out houses, including the houses of his brother, and saying that they would be blown down or lose their roofs. He urged his mother to leave before the storm. Although she was not convinced, she humored her son, and they sought refuge in a friend's home nearby. Exactly as he had predicted, the thunderstorm appeared, seemingly out of nowhere, and badly damaged or destroyed about 40 houses in a small town. And depending on where you find this story, he always claims a different number of houses were destroyed. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So he, yeah. he he predicts a storm. This is his first his first case of, of clairvoyance. Um, but despite being clairvoyant and able to, to read storms in the sky, he found himself still forced to labor in order to get by. At age 16, he moved to his city, Campo Grande, and to try and make a living. He was only successful in fits and starts, and before long, he found himself unemployed and living under a bridge at the edge of town. One day, he headed to the water to bathe, and, John claims, as he approached the water, a beautiful woman called to him and invited him closer. They talked for hours. The next day, he returned to the water to speak with her again, but he found a brilliant shaft of light in her place. He heard her calling his name, and so he approached. She told him to visit the Spiritist Center in Campo Grande, which he did. So, that's <laughs> that's 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 his version of events. The spirit meets him, and they talk for hours, and then she sends him to the Spiritist Center in town. Um, so like hell yeah yeah he arrives and the director of the center like knows his name already and uh says they've been waiting for him and then john immediately like collapses he like passes out and when he returns to consciousness um there's this huge group of people standing around him and they tell him that he has incorporated which is the term they use for when you're you're taken over by a spirit the entity king solomon uh and he cured 50 (laughs) people while possessed by king solomon (laughs) <laughs> which i remember king solomon is the guy who cuts up babies but yeah i don't know and as far I, as like the luck of the draw goes hey that's a good get good get yeah a name, a name oh yeah Bible king guy. solomon ks nice. that's a big yeah. one yeah <laughs> but yep. hey could have happened to anyone could have happened to anyone <laughs> amazing could have happened to anyone i mean i i would love to i don't know not king solomon which king would i want to uh, Ooh, Hen- the Henry the Eighth. Henry the Eighth. That's a good. That's oh. a bad. I mean, that's a bad king, but that's a fun king to to yeah, incorporate to, to yeah. be. 
Or King uh, Leopold. I could ride a tricycle. Take that's some hands. True. Yeah. I guess uh I guess uh the old dude, the old old dude from the Bible, he probably got up to some shit. Nebuchadnezzar Methuselah? or whatever. Methuselah. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Ne- you mean like the the Babylonian emperor. Yeah, that's a good one. Right? Those guys those guys yeah. got up to some shit. Yeah. Oh man, and it's so much more impressive to take on Nebuchadnezzar. That guy's got <laughs> a way better name than Solomon. <laughs> What a yeah. lame, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, obviously this is all lies. The only truth here is probably that John's age 16 is about when John started fooling around with spiritism. Um, unfortunately, I'm unaware of any serious journalism that exists to actually document what down what went down with John's early years in the religion. Uh, but he claims that the director of the center had to take him aside and explain to him that he'd been chosen by an entity of light known as King Solomon. Uh, this director <laughs> told him to leave and come back at 2 p.m. the next day to keep healing people. Since John was homeless, this guy invited him to stay the night at his house. John claims that this man's humble home and food were unthinkable luxuries for him, given the poverty he'd lived with his entire life. He was given his own room with an electric fan. So that's a big deal. Nice electric fan. It is, uh, like, so weird to think about, like, the band of grifters welcoming in a new... I mean, this is in the retelling, welcoming in yeah. a new grifter. Like, what the fuck was actually happening? Yeah, it's and it's so one bizarre. of those things... Yeah, it, it's convenient that, you know, out in the... At, at this period of time, out in the middle of nowhere, Brazil... Um, you know, lifespans aren't enormous. Uh, so you you're really if you make it old enough, you could just lie about what happened to you when you were a kid. Because <laughs> right, yeah, right, right, right. That makes yeah. sense. That yeah, the the earlier most people die, the easier it is to be a grifter. Yes, I mean yes. when everyone I go to went to high school with is dead, I'm gonna have some stories I start telling. I'll tell you that. Yeah, much. Yeah. yeah, no corroboration. Oh, I was healing the shit out of people in eleventh grade. <laughs> 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 yeah, you want to take a ad, buddy? Yep. You know who else was healing a lot of people when I was in the eleventh grade? The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. She's a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. 
Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so uh, uh, now let's talk about um, p- products. Nope, we did that. Now we're back. Okay, so uh, John of God, he meets this the spiritist church, and they tell him that King Solomon's taken over his brain, um, and he's like, "That's that's good and normal." Um, <laughs> and yeah, so he 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 winds up staying the night with like the leader of the center. Uh, and he, he tries to explain to him that he's not a practicing medium and he doesn't know anything about medicine and he doesn't understand how he was healing all these people. He was actually terrified because he didn't know like how to, he was expected to come back the next day and he didn't know how to do what was expected of him. Um, but as soon as he gathered at the spirit of center the next day, uh, King Solomon took him over again and he kept healing more sick people. John claims this went on for months while the more experienced spiritist practitioners educated him on the nature of the entities that increasingly took over his body. He became known as Medium John and his new teacher's son. <laughs> it is kind of funny. Medium John. It's like the sequel to Big John that's not as, as good or rhythmic. Medium yeah. John. So just, just, just medium John. Every morning uh, at the mine, you could see him arrive. He stood five foot eight and weighed 135. <laughs> kind of medium at the shoulders and medium at the hips. And everyone knew it was okay to give some lip to Medium John. <laughs> It's so, it is like so juvenile to yeah. find confusing medium with medium, but that I is know. so it's funny, funny to me. It's, it's very so funny. funny. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, yeah. his his new teachers told him he needed to devote his whole life to healing other people. Um, and this his biog- his biographers claim started a five or six year period of traveling throughout Brazil, healing the sick and the suffering. He became known as Joao Curador or John the Healer through his biographers uh, and in interviews. John always makes sure that people know that he is a healer, but he also at the same time all always firmly rejects being called a healer. Um, so he makes sure that people knows that like he everyone started calling me John the Healer, but I'm not a healer. The entities that channel through my body are the ones doing the healing. I'm just a conduit. So it's very important to him that you believe both things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, this has a nice side benefit of allowing him to argue that he isn't practicing medicine without a license, which is is handy when you're practicing medicine without a license. I don't know if you've ever practiced medicine without a license, <laughs> um, but you got to be careful with it. That so, is ingre- so he's shifting the blame to literal King Solomon, essentially. Yeah, he's yeah, exactly. If if somebody dies while he's performing psychic surgery, it's the dead king's fault. Mm-hmm. That's a but, that's a hell of a loophole. That's genius. I mean, I am going to start blaming all of my many crimes on King Solomon. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna lie to you about that. Like I yeah. that seems like a very good idea. Well, especially the baby chopping thing, because that's he's got the baby chopping. He's got previous M.O. on that. Yeah, I mean, yes, officer, I was going 135 miles an hour in a 55. (laughs) But if I didn't, this fucking king ghost in my head was going to chop up some babies. Like, (laughs) do do you want me to go a little fast or you want some chopped up babies? That's all I got to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. It's up to you. Up to you. Up to you. Up to you, cop. Seems reasonable to me. You want me to heal you? Let me pull out some chicken gizzards and pretend to rip them from your chest. So uh, his biographer's next note that he did, that while he did his uh, extraordinary work of healing, Medium John was persecuted by members of the medical and religious establishments. Uh, He claims that they were threatened by his presence and that he lost count of the number of times he was arrested for practicing medicine without a license. John traveled constantly, never more than a few steps ahead of the law. He finally got a break in 1962 when Brazil was thrown into turmoil by a violent coup. His biography says the country suffered a revolution and a military government came into power. The reality is that Brazil's democratically elected socialist president, Joao Goulart, was overthrown by a military coup backed by the U.S. government. A conservative military dictatorship would rule Brazil for the next 20-ish years. John's biography glosses all over, uh, over all of that because the advent of a military dictatorship worked out really well for him. Medium John <laughs> traveled to the capital, Brasilia, and offered his services as a tailor to the military. Quote from his biography. Because he was so young, he was not commissioned to create uniforms, but was given an opportunity to sew a consignment of work pants. His expertise impressed his new employers, and he was soon promoted to full-time tailor and assigned to make uniforms for the army. Medium Joao continued his healing work quietly on the side, but word of his gift soon spread throughout the barracks. One day, he incorporated an entity who operated on the wounded leg of a doctor, which healed immediately. The doctor was enthralled with Medium Joao's gift, and from that day on, he became the spiritual healer for the military and civil authorities. He was promoted to master Taylor and became their protege for nearly nine years. Consequently, he was protected from persecution during that time and traveled extensively throughout Brazil with the army. There's a lot that's interesting there. Uh, the most fascinating thing to me is that so the army comes to believe that this is a magical healer, and as a result, they promote him to master Taylor, which is <laughs> this is an interesting choice. <laughs> I mean, it's just like keep him in the ranks, I guess. Yeah, that's... keep him in the ranks, keep a paycheck going to the guy while you dictatorship Brazil. Look, I'm not yeah. going to backseat dictatorship. The you know Brazilian what? 
government. Yeah, there, yeah. There's a lot of bureaucracy. You can't just yeah. insert like which doctor, surgeon general. Yeah. Um, you get you know. that's like a year eight of the dictatorship thing at best. Yeah. You know, yeah. you get a oh my god, I want to be witch doctor, surgeon general so bad. That's you just that sounds even better than <laughs> Reverend Doctor, to be honest. You just have to yeah, you have to work within the available structures until yeah. until such time as you don't. Yeah. Yeah, I got really fucked up fighting those partisans the other night. I got a bullet in my arm. I got to go to the master tailor to (laughs) deal with this. (laughs) Yeah. So John John claims that the the experience of working as a protege healer slash tailor with the dictatorship um, instilled in him a deep desire to become a successful businessman. His fawning biographers explained that he, quote, needed money-making expertise to support his spiritual purpose. This is so he doesn't sound greedy. Um, Wonderfully, they claim John just happened to have a great head for business, and his financial success has allowed him to fund his healing mission, all without charging patients a dime. This is absolutely a lie, uh, but incredulous white Americans bought it for years. So basically, he like he claims that he became a great businessman, and that's how he's able to fund his his free <laughs> healing hospital. The reality is like literally the opposite. He makes a bunch of money healing people, and he used it to buy like ranches full of cattle and stuff. Um, but Makes sense. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Now, from this point on, the story of Medium John has a decent amount of documentation, so we're going to depart from his terrible, terrible biography. But before we do, I want to turn to his biographers for an explanation of exactly who these entities that take over John are. Uh, they <laughs> describe the entities as transcendent spirits who are, who are, quote, able to use Medium Joao's body to produce cures by performing visible and invisible spiritual surgeries. Quote, Medium Joao can incorporate approximately 37 entities, but only one entity can be incorporated at a time. The specific entity may change, however, depending on the needs of an individual patient. In addition to the entity incorporated at any given time, there is a highly evolved group of thousands of spirits who actually work on a person while the incorporated entity oversees healing. This group is referred to as his phalange. One spirit might specialize in diabetes or heart problems, another in emotional afflictions. These entities serve humanity in the hopes of alleviating pain and suffering on the earthly plane. This service is part of their evolutionary process. So he's a whole hospital of ghosts. Jesus Christ. That's uh. having having like support staff in this like fake like spiritual <laughs> yeah, that's slavery the best part like, system. <laughs> it's like I I mean I guess it makes it sound more plausible on some level like oh how could you possibly do this? No, we need, you know, the help of thousands to to cure your fucking whatever. Oh. Yeah, no, I got nurses. Yeah, did, is it ever like, oh, I'm sorry, no, the guy who could help you, he's out on vacation. We just have like the dude who helps me cut people's <laughs> eyes. Do you need an eye cut? Yeah. Oh, that's the other side of it is if you were like if I were designing my own version of some cockamamie bullshit, I feel like it would be it would involve as little true body horror as possible. Like no, no, oh. they people love that shit. Oh, yeah, man. I guess people that's love true. getting fucking cut into and blood and shit. Like if you really want to, if you want to yeah. like, if you want to get some cult shit going on, you got to get gross with it, man. Yeah, it's part of it. It's part yeah. of it, but oh, so the physicality. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. That's why you know not everyone's made to be a cult leader, Andrew. I don't think I got what it takes anymore. I I believe you could be a cult leader, but you're, you're <laughs> you know it takes some sacrifice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't I, I don't have the willingness to put in the reps to really get yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot in common. Being a cult leader has a lot in common with having great abs, right? They both <laughs> they both take you either have to be born with the right genes or you have to put in a lot of time on the bench. Yeah, 
and yeah. it's not happening for me. Yeah, well, that's that's yeah. We all make you know, choices. Yeah, there, there's not happening yet. I'll see. We'll see. We'll I see wish where I, life takes me. It would be cool to be able to incorporate the spirit that could just give you incredible abs. Like they, <laughs> one of them has to know how to do abs. But okay. <laughs> So John claims that after a few years of making money and getting in good with a brutal dictatorship, his entities told him it was crucial he expand his work and heal more people. He wound up being guided to the town of Abadiania in Goyas. He first arrived there in 1978 and began his practice by sitting in a chair outside in the middle of the main road and greeting travelers who showed signs of illnesses. Through him, the entities would heal these people, and over time, the numbers increased from dozens to hundreds to thousands per day. John's incredible healings eventually earned him the loyalty of a mysterious benefactor who purchased him a plot of land and paid to build a healing center, Casa de Dom Ignacio de Loyola. This spiritual hospital, as his followers would come to describe it, eventually received more than 10,000 visitors per month. Since Abadiana has only about 19,000 residents, the huge streams of sick and dying people represented a big infusion into the local economy. So, like, half the population of the city is coming in every week just to see this guy. Oh. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, I guess you need, like, desperation tourism sometimes. Yep. But Jesus Christ, that's, that is actually Jesus Christ's business model also. So, you know mm-hmm. what? Maybe it, maybe it's just a good one. Yeah, if Jesus Christ had benefited from, like, roadside billboards, I don't think they ever would have gotten to kill him. He would have made too much money. But <laughs> tragic. Yeah. Yeah, render unto Caesar about 38% and you're fine. Yeah, yeah, honestly, yeah. So uh, this was often glossed over by the positive coverage of John of God, but the extent to which he became an industry for the people who lived around him can't be exaggerated. I'm going to quote now from an O Magazine profile by Susan Casey, uh, just a, a terrible article from 2010 that nonetheless revealed some important details about the economic impact of this guru on the small town of Abadiana. Quote, Several businesses had displays of white clothing. The CASA requests that only white be worn. This makes it easier, apparently, for a person's aura to be seen. There were a number of vividly painted small hotels lined up side by side. Lilac purple, canary yellow, lime green. One of them, a coral-colored one-story building, opened up to the street. And inside, I could see a John of God video playing on a large screen. An audience of about 20 people sat in straight back chairs and watched him cut into a man's chest with what looked like a rusty paring knife. The man's eyes were closed, and he was peaceful and still as rivulets of blood ran down his white shirt yeah that's awesome that sounds like the kind of charming small brazilian town i want a vacation in just have a couple of fucking mojitos and watch some guy commit surgery on people hell yeah yeah this is like some midsummer shit this is like yeah insanity yeah imagine like you're just backpacking through brazil and wind up here on accident and it's like oh no (laughs) yeah i have i have erred (laughs) i did not want to be here (laughs) yeah yeah holy shit so john established a cattle ranch nearby and by the early 2000s he was known to spend most of his week there running his various businesses he was able to do this because increasingly throughout the 90s and early 2000s a string of foreigners generally american women moved in and dedicated themselves to helping his mission this includes the americans who wrote his biography john of god's practice involved a series of mass meetings where sick folks would basically fill up rooms and wait to be seen by the medium he'd consult with his entities and then diagnose their problem i'm going to quote now from a write-up in the montreal gazette 
Quote, once the diagnosis has been made, the healing procedure begins. It may be visible or invisible spiritual surgery. If the patient chooses invisible, they are directed to a room to meditate while the spirits do their work. Visible surgery can involve sticking a surgical clamp up the patient's nose. It looks very impressive, but it is nothing but an old carny trick, usually performed with a long nail and a hammer. Any anatomical text will reveal that there is a roughly four-inch long passage up the nasal cavity that is quite ready to accommodate a foreign object without any harm. John maintains uh, that, yeah, that's that's a good trick. Yeah, he's he's doing the nails up the nose thing. But yeah, he's calling yeah. it brain surgery. Classic. Yeah, classic. John maintains that the success of his treatment hinges on the patient abstaining from drinking alcohol, eating pork, and having sex for 40 days after the treatment. This can provide for a convenient out in case no miracle occurs. Patients can be healed even if they are unable to travel to Brazil. All that is needed is a surrogate willing to undergo the spiritual surgery. So that's awesome. That's a good grift. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I guess it's like if you're going to be a main grifter, at least bring up your little grifty town around you. Yeah. But. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's that's obviously the safest thing, right? Because then they'll have a vested financial interest in protecting you. Yeah. 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 I guess that yeah. is what a cult is. Yeah, that's basic. I mean, yeah, more. I mean, this is a little more complicated than just a cult because there's a cult, but then there's also the town who, like, probably a lot of the townsfolk knew that this was bullshit, but they also know there's a fuckload of money in this shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Make everyone invested in you, and yeah, one way or the other, yeah, you, it's, you got leverage. Forever. It's essentially the same way that, like, the pot industry works in large amounts of the United States. Um, or, yeah, like, uh, any drug illegal drug business works where it's like well this is where the money is here so nobody's Mm -hmm. nobody's gonna start shit yeah Um, don't don't snitch this is this is the fucking godfather don't snitch this is good for all of us yeah 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 yeah. that's kind of what's going on here um except for instead of good honest marijuana it's a guy cutting people's faces and shoving things up their noses and he actually hates marijuana uh he was he was (laughs) famous for saying that like if you smoked pot you had to like detox for a whole year before he could heal you (laughs) the entities don't like weed yeah that's can't be true but fair enough entities yeah if there are if there are ghostly entities flying around there's no way those ghostly entities don't like some fucking dank like come on yeah they love they love weed so that, that last write-up I read you from the Montreal Gazette was obviously written by a credible journalist who was as critical of who was very critical of John of God. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to read another example, another another person writing about what his healing sessions look like, who actually like believed in him and was a member of his cult. So here's his mm-hmm. biographer Heather Cummings recalling one of his healing sessions. Quote. The entity, Dr. Jose Valdivino, called for his, and that's the the guy he's channeling, is this Dr. Mm -hmm. Jose Valdivino, called for his instruments again. I opened the special drawer and carefully removed the tray and took the instrument tray to him. He chose a paring knife, a regular kitchen serrated edge knife. He passed his hand over the man's eye and told him to relax. He opened the eye wide and pressed down hard and scraped. See, here it is, he said, as he wiped the the knife on the man's shirt. I could see a minute dark sliver. I know beyond a doubt after seeing so many of these operations that the sliver was not a topical foreign object being removed but rather something from deep inside that only the entities can see the eye looks the entity looks into the eye as a representation of the whole body system not limited to the physical eye i understand this is a symbolic removal on the physical level but originating from many levels and involving many different uh, organs the son is healed you can take him to the infirmary he said as he wrote the post-op prescription so (laughs) 
<laughs> that's Holy cool. Shit, that's an awesome gig, man. That is. I mean, I don't. I like. I don't wear contacts because I can't touch my eye. I think. Like oh, I'm, I'll I'm heal you, man. Squ- yeah, come, come over to my shit. house. I'll I'll whip out a big old rusty machete and I'll I'll carve <laughs> the ghosts out of your eye, man. It's uh, it's fine. This is this is where I'm taking Machetison next. Damn, God, man, that's that's, so a, that's an easy grist. Just start yeah. slashing people's fucking faces. It's fine. Holy shit. Oh what? man, and then yeah. Can you imagine the first time you try this shit? Like this will yeah. work. There's a lot of blind people who are like before he learned how to scrape people's eyes without blinding them. Like he, no. uh, there's like a whole village full of his uh, his his first draft <laughs> healings. Yeah, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I guess some that, of those people are dead, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, the good thing is if you're actually like if you're doing this kind of grift, I think you definitely want to start out only trying to heal people with serious terminal illnesses like cancer, because mm-hmm. then once you fuck up, they're not around very long. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really key. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of good mm-hmm. advice on how to start a medical grift in this episode. So uh, <laughs> t- take notes. When society collapses, some of you are mm-hmm. going to do very well remembering this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like as that story noted, John of God would write prescriptions to his patients. And all of these prescriptions were for a specific herbal pill mixture sold in John of God's own pharmacy. The pills were mostly passion flower, and by some accounts, they've netted John more than $10 million a year. Uh, he also gets a cut of the sales of the white clothes, the hotel fees, the sales of blessed water, and the sales of healing crystals, which he prescribes to his followers. So you can see why no one in Abadeanya had any interest in questioning whether or not John of God was legit. He did face occasional challenges from members of the Brazilian government, particularly folks in the medical establishment who were leery of his psychic surgery. But this sort of woo is extremely popular in Brazil, particularly among rural voters, and John of God was both rich and connected, so it is not surprising that very little was ever done. What's more surprising is the degree to which foreign journalists bought into his shtick. In 2005, ABC News sent a small team to Abadianya to meet John of God. They put together a documentary basically posing the question of whether or not he was a healer or a, a bullshit artist. And they kind of landed on healer. Like ABC News did a pretty <laughs> shitty job of journalism here. And I'm going to quote from this write-up in the Montreal Gazette. Quote, in an attempt to provide a critical review a view of John's antics, the producers invited two experts, cardiac surgeon Mehmet Oz and James Randi, the wor- world's <laughs> leading investigator of paranormal phenomena. Oz was probably chosen because he was a proponent of various alternative therapies, such as therapeutic touch and reflexology, and would be likely to be somewhat sympathetic to faith healing and perhaps add an air of legitimacy. Randi was invited as the token skeptic. Oz appeared repeatedly in the hour-long show, basically echoing the refrain that science doesn't have all the answers and not all other forms of healing need consideration. Science, of course, doesn't claim to have all the answers, but it does look for evidence before jumping on a bandwagon. Randy, who could have provided evidence for methods of trickery and for psychological manipulation, was given a total of 19 seconds on the show after being interviewed for hours. Why? Because the possibility that cancer can be healed by penetrating the nose with surgical forceps by a healer chosen by God makes for better television than declaring him to be a self-delusional simpleton or a calculating fraud artist. So... I mean, now, this this has to also be like something like the underlying, like, you know, uh, uh, faith in Christianity. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you got to, you know, can't question religion, can't question religion takes you all the way to, well, this could be real. 
this clearly yep. fake shit could be real. It's, it's got to be real. What else crazy. could it be? It's yeah. it's it's wild, man. Um, and Doctor Oz is a big part of justifying this guy. Like you can't overstate how much Doctor Oz played a role in giving this guy legitimacy. Yeah. Because his job for his whole career, pretty much, has been to be a real doctor who will get up and say that nonsense makes sense. That nonsense yeah. medical treatments are good for you. I mean, I um, think I think it's like critical to point out that like physicians are not fucking scientists like you can be a doctor ben carson believes in fucking you know doesn't believe in evolution like doctors are just like high stakes technicians yeah and and their engineers are regularly uh engineers and doctors actually are are not irregularly like part of like terrorist moves like al-qaeda had a bunch of engineers and doctors yeah because like Uh, they, you, you know, if you've got that kind of intelligence, like Ben Carson is a great brain surgeon and is also able to convince himself that the world is 6,000 years old. Like mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of brains that these people have don't, you know, there's a lot of very smart doctors, obviously, too, but you can be a doctor and very dumb. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can be a doc, but I don't think Dr. Oz is dumb. I actually don't think that's, I think Dr. Oz is a very intelligent grifter who's made millions of dollars causing untold harm to the world and to our shared understanding of science. God, I uh, hope a yeah. Dr. Oz ad comes on during this episode. He's a piece of shit and a monster. But I think an ad for Dr. Oz comes on right now. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's just like worth pointing out that the TEM in STEM. Um, none of those things are indicative of actual n- knowledge necessarily. No, and this is part of why, like, this is uh, people talk about, like, you know, uh, conservatives in particular, like, talk a lot of shit about the liberal arts and like philosophy and all this stuff. And it's like, no, no, no. The reason why engineers and doctors should have some grounding and all that education is to stop Doctor Oz's from coming about. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's to give people like an, a, a broader understanding than just like if you get really good at one incredibly narrow technical thing. Yeah, you can convince yourself to believe all sorts of, of stupid bullshit because you're a very smart person who doesn't have a wide ranging education. And it's very easy for those sorts of people to convince themselves of the dumbest things in the world. Yeah. And, um, and who have like who are highly rewarded for it. Yeah. So, like. Yeah, you watch like any Silicon Valley person make a pronunciation on anything outside of business and it's like, "Oh, you are you are less educated than the average person. You are yeah. uh, bad at reasoning." Not yeah, just- w- w- it, and when a bunch of these people who are really good at one incredibly narrow task wind up responsible for a wide range of things, you have stuff like a viral epidemic get wildly mm-hmm. out of hand and kill tens of thousands of people, but Yeah. 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 Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Yeah. And and Dr. Oz is, of course, a part of that and was like urging people to take bullshit medical treatments during the coronavirus epidemic because he's 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 history's greatest monster. Um, You know, he was also (laughs) cited repeatedly in that 2010 uh, O magazine article because, of course, Oprah um, gave Mehmet Oz life and nursed him at her metaphorical breast of publicity. Um, And I'm going to quote from that next. So this is the write-up in O Magazine that really put John of God on the map. Quote, 
Five years ago, Oz had participated in a primetime live segment focusing on John of God. He examined hours of film footage from the entity's healings. He'd looked at scans and biopsy reports, and there were results he couldn't explain. The shrinkage of an aggressive tumor, for instance. This guy has a glioblastoma, which is a very deadly brain tumor, Oz recalled. It was grade four. They biopsied it and proved it. As an added credential, the biopsy was done at Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center, a prominent hospital. I took those films down to my radiologist, along with a new set of films the patient had taken after his visit to John of God, which showed the tumor had calcified and essentially died. Now, I don't know Dr. Oz's radiologist, but I do know that Dr. Oz himself is a famous charlatan and a liar. Uh, I can't speak to the specific case, but it's worth noting that no other doctors got to look at this information. Um, Mm -hmm. I can, however, speak about other cancers that John of God claimed falsely to have cured. In 2005, South African singer Leah Melman refused breast cancer surgery to be treated by John of God. She claimed to have been cured by him and showed up on Oprah Winfrey's show to tell everyone the good news about how Brazil's miracle healer had had cured her untreatable cancer, which actually was treatable that she just chose not to get treated. She died of her untreated cancer two years after her Oprah appearance in 2012. Oprah did not post a retraction based on any of this, of course. Some of this is probably due to the fact that there were many, many other grateful patients all too eager to come forward and share their own stories of miraculous healing. That 2010 article by Susan Casey included the stories of several charismatic foreigners who claimed to have been cured by John and now worked for him or made money taking groups to be healed by him. Um, I'm going to read one example. This is a quote from that O Magazine article, which re- you can only find it on the Wayback Machine because w- once this guy got accused by of rape by literally hundreds of people... Um, Oprah pulled the article, but uh, <laughs> I found it on the Wayback Machine. And if you want to be really angry at an unspeakably shitty journalist, and and Susan Casey is one of the very worst who's ever ever done the job, uh, read that article because it will make you want to punch holes in your wall. So I'm going to read a quote from it now. So get your whole punch in hands ready. Over a good Chilean red, Edwin, an ordained minister, motivational speaker, and author of The Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity, recounted the story of her brain aneurysm, deemed inoperable by five neurosurgeons. Get your affairs in order, she remembers being told, and try not to sneeze. That's how fragile I was, she said. So I did it. I went out and got my living will, my durable power of attorney. But then I realized, I'm not ready to go just yet. She laughed at the memory. That's all it is now. After her dire diagnosis... At the urging of her prayer group, all of whom say they received the same vision of John of God curing her, Edwin traveled to the casa. I was nervous and I was skeptical, she said, but what did I have to lose? Almost immediately, the entity performed invisible surgery on her, a 40-minute process that involved sitting in a group meditation with her right hand over her heart. Nobody touched her, but Edwin remembers, I could feel things moving around in my head. It didn't hurt, but it was different. Afterwards, she collapsed in exhaustion for 24 hours. Days later, she was told by her guide the stitches would be, could, would be removed. That night, I could feel ping, 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 like stitches being pulled out. Eventually, a CT scan revealed the truth. Her aneurysm was gone. I'm so grateful, she said, nodding toward the heavens. Since then, she's been back to the casa once at Christmas, and now she was headed there for a third time, bringing a group of 20 people who also sought healing. So this is the uh, level of journalistic rigor that we're getting in this article. Mm-hmm. The o fucking, Magazine, everybody. The mention of the wine is particularly choice. Oh, Just it's got to be, yeah, yeah. Revolting. Yeah, Oprah Magazine was definitely like, it, it, it was, yeah, it was, it, was, it was entirely geared at getting wine moms to believe mm-hmm. spiritual nonsense yeah. and not get their cancer treated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, I mean, Robert, you want to yeah. take an ad break real quick? Yeah, you know what else doesn't care if wine moms get cancer treatment? 
<laughs> the products <gasps> and services that support this podcast. They don't they don't give a good goddamn. Great. And that's the gar- that's the behind the bastards guarantee. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tail. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back. Oh my gosh. What a great 
I don't know. <laughs> Whatever this is. I, what a great, you know, John of God. Story. John of God is a monster and a rapist, and we will only hear more about the horrible things that he's done. Um, but I can't have the same kind of hatred for him that I can for these fucking O Magazine grifters and Dr. Oz. And I, I don't know why. I think it's because on like a on like a global level, the amount of harm that these people do is so much higher. And it's mm-hmm. also so much like this is going to sound weird, but like the horrible physical crimes that John of God committed, like he just went out there and committed with his own body. Um, and there's a level of like commitment to evil that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Whereas Dr. Oz and Oprah just like sit in front of a camera and say bullshit that harms so many more people. while at the same time, they're perfectly friendly and nice people. And so like nobody hates them and they never go to prison. And yeah, like I'm well, not going to say they're worse than a rapist, but yeah, in a yeah. they do more damage on a, on yeah. a broad scale. Right. Like, Oh yeah. yeah, it's not good. Well, it's like, it's like sort of like, it's like, um, it's like whatever the, the PR version of money laundering is. They, they, yeah. clean, they clean it. They're the cleaners. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're, they're like money launderers for like dangerous bullshit that gets people killed and molested and stuff. Yeah. And they, they, they are responsible in this case for sending thousands of potential victims to this guy who, again, turns out to rape hundreds of people. And like they're being sent there by Oprah, but all she gets is traffic for it and more money. And everybody loves Oprah. And if she ran for president, she would absolutely win. Um, and it's fine. And it's just fine. Because she's a friendly, nice person. I'm sure. She, I'm sure if I got to hang out with Oprah, I would enjoy her company, um, and I would forget momentarily the horrors that her brand has brought into the world. And that's very frustrating to think about. Although, to be fair, actually, if she were to graduate to the level of American president, yeah, um, she yeah. would once again be in company where, probably, relatively speaking, her hands are relatively clean. <laughs> I and, and like I ha- I hate to Fair. say it, but I suspect she would not be the worst president of my lifetime. Um, oh my god, she might be the best. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's entirely possible. <laughs> like, yeah, you both things are true. You can be the friendly face of a lot of horror. Yeah, and still be the best president. Yeah, I would still vote for her over the current guy or even Joe Biden, to be honest. So (laughs) here we go. Like it's fucking wild. This is so dumb. We shouldn't have presidents um, or billionaires like Oprah, but whatever. Anyway, that O magazine article has been scrubbed from the internet because of all the rapes and stuff. Um, But uh, yeah, it's, I almost recommend finding it and reading it just to get a crash course in how to write a really irresponsible article about a cult leader. Susan Casey should be in some sort of journalist prison, but instead she went from being Oprah's editor in chief to working as the creative director for Outside Magazine, the editor of Sports Illustrated Women, and the author of a ridiculous sounding book on dolphins. And I am sure that I have ruined any chance of publishing an outside magazine now which bums me out (laughs) i would much rather do that than write about nazis but i don't like susan casey and i think she's very irresponsible yeah she's the journalistic equivalent of like like taking your nine-year-old out shooting for the first time and just getting blackout drunk first um i mean is it like i because it's like so the, the the generally there's just like a vested interest in promoting like spirituality and Christianity on some level. And like, cause it's like when you, when you encounter these people, are you not at any point like, Hey, this seems fucked up. 
I, it's so wild to me that you don't that they don't have that instinct. You know, the key is that all of the people surrounding John of God, because you don't spend much time with him. You spend a lot of time around these like and they're mostly like white American ladies who who right. like love his shit. And they're all the same kind of they're all Gwyneth Paltrow kind of people. And right. they're all uh, like like well healed and friendly and, and charming uh and and they know how to speak to a specific segment of the population mm-hmm. and those yeah. people find them trustworthy right. um yeah so yeah. susan felt the need to visit john of god the author of that o magazine article um so she could write a terrible article but the 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 ailment that sent her there was the fact that her father had tragically died very young um and the resultant grief had nearly broken her um she went to brazil for healing and she basically claims that john of god put her into a trance during one of his mass healing sessions and she was able to visualize her father in paradise knowing that he was happy and off living his eternal life allowed her to move on and that's all fine like seriously grief is the worst thing ever and there are way worse ways of coping with it than paying a guru to help you to hallucinate heaven or whatever do what you got to do to to get by i'm not gonna blame her for that what i will blame her for is the utterly uncritical way that she wrote about john of god's bullshit uh like his claims of being able to perform surgery without even touching people so here's another quote when you consider the countless unseen things that have undeniable power sound waves microwaves radio waves emotions like anger or envy wind and of course the awesome universal power of love it seems silly to rely on the naked eye for proof of anything yet that is what we do numbers on charts and graphs x-rays those we believe in but belief without documentation something we perceive with one of our five senses is considered without uh, with one of our five senses is considered blind faith sweet but we don't really trust it so she's saying that like it's it's silly to believe in radio waves, but not the power of uh, ghosts to heal people's yeah. cancer. The hand wave, the hand waving of naked eye into evidence yeah. is fucking revolting. She is hand waving so hard it could power a fucking windmill yeah. farm. Like yeah. Jesus. So she actually makes the argument in that article that it's unreasonable for us to reject the reality of John of God's powers just because there's no proof behind them. This is reinforced by some sh- something she writes about her arrival in the hotel at Abadiania. Quote, as I hoisted my luggage up to the second floor, a small sign of the wall caught my attention. Don't believe everything you think, it advised. <laughs> Which is ga- <laughs> like, that's kind of gaslighting, right? Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like gaslighting via decoration. <laughs> That's a, yeah, that is exactly that is, is what abusers say. That's fucking yeah. insane. Yeah. Holy shit. In this same inc- uncredulous way, she writes about the entities that John of God channels. Quote, if you spend time at Abadianya, you will hear the phrase the entities over and over again, sometimes plural and sometimes singular, and you will come to use it yourself as if it were a completely ordinary thing to say. What it actually means, however, is so extraordinary that it defies our sense of what is logical or even possible in this world. The healing entities who work through John of God are the spirits of deceased doctors, surgeons, masters, and saints. Heather's website explains matter-of-factly. They use Medium Joao's body, channeling their power through him. Sometimes the spirits show up anonymously, but there are several who make regular appearances. They include Dr. Augusto de Almeida, a surgeon and army man with a serious and efficient manner. Dr. Oswaldo Cruz, whose specialties were infectious diseases and bacteriology. St. Francis Xavier, co-founder of the Jesuit order, along with Casa's patron, St. Ignatius of Loyola, a priest and nobleman from the 16th century. Despite the presence of saints, Medium Joao, born a Catholic, makes it clear that the Casa is not a church, but rather a spiritual hospital. My mission has nothing to do with religion he says <laughs> so oh have the yeah. has, have these guys ever been like sued by the estates of these this feels a little bit like mormons like nope ba- baptizing people in in uh like uh post-mortem 
most of the poor people who come to John of God are too poor to sue if their serious diseases don't get cured. And most of the rich people aren't actually coming there for serious diseases. They're coming there for things like like Susan has where like they're sad, you know? Yeah, that's a lot of these patients. Sorry, I, I meant I meant the estates of these spirits of the. Oh, the pe- <laughs> um, man, yeah, that that would be fun to try to sue someone for that. I don't know that there's any legal precedent. <laughs> like I, I think my- it's really funny that you're like talking about like okay, well, we've got this infectious disease doctor, but actually he's calling it a second opinion from the 16th century nobleman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's like, hey, my grandpa, yeah. you know. Admittedly, my my Nazi grandpa probably wouldn't have supported this. I guess is not the best court case, but yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, Susan goes on to write, "Quote: At the casa, skeptics are as welcome as believers. I had already noticed that skeptics didn't tend to stay that way. Many harumphing empirical scientists had become impassioned John of God advocates after visiting and witnessing him in action." She doesn't go on to quote any of these scientists um, mm-hmm. or or give any evidence of this. She just like says it um, because this is again a perfect piece of journalism. At one point, Susan attends a healing and says that John of God called for doctors in the audience to come forward. In her recitation of events, these learned men were all bowled over by John's inexplicable healing abilities. As far as I can tell, Susan took no action to determine if any of these men were actual doctors. A real journalist, (laughs) Michael Usher, did report critically on John of God in 2014 for 60 Minutes, and I want to compare how she and Michael both wrote about the medium's eye-scraping surgery. Quote, from my vantage point, only ten. And this is Susan. From my vantage point, only ten feet away, the change in his body and demeanor was easily visible. Now his eyes were more intense, and they flashed noticeably darker. His gait became stiffer, his movements more deliberate. He turned to the three women standing against the wall, took the one closest to him by the hand, and gently sat her in a wheelchair. Her eyes fluttered wide as she meditated. Reaching to the tray, he selected a short knife with a wooden handle, a cheap-looking type that you might use to pare an apple, and he held it up to the room, making sure that everyone saw its sharp blade. He tipped her head backward, running his hand across her face and he opened her left eye holding the eyelid wide then he began to scrape the knife across her eyeball back and forth with visible pressure unbelievably the woman sat absolutely still without flinching or recoiling I had a hard time watching this believing as I do that the words knife and eyeball should never appear in the same sentence after what seemed like an eternity devoid of trauma he put down the knife the orderly took the wheelchair and steered it into the infirmary as she had the entire time the woman appeared to be napping how on earth could a knife cross your eyeball and not hurt later I would interview another recipient of this treatment. Connie Price, 62, from Jackson, Michigan. There was no pain whatsoever, she said, of the five-minute scraping. I could feel the energy coming through him. I remember the heat pouring through that man's body. Price found the treatment beneficial. I can see a lot better now. So you'll notice the only evidence of efficacy of healing is they didn't look to be in pain when this guy was rubbing <laughs> a knife on their eye, and they said, one of them said afterwards, I can see better now. There's no, again, that's not mm-hmm. evidence. That's an mm-hmm. anecdote. And that's it, not an anecdote based on like actually testing her eyesight. Is that? And also, it's like, aren't there? Isn't the whole thing that's like, yeah, there aren't. Are there nerves on your eyeball? Because that's how they do like nope. LASIK, right? They just, yep. Yeah. It's right. actually okay. really easy to. It's the same thing with like. It's actually very easy to rub a knife and even cut a little bit on an eyeball without somebody being in horrible pain. Um, right. And, you know, even when you actually are cutting into people's chest, like, it's easy for people to not feel pain. Like, again, people who, like, there there are people who, like, do cutting and stuff or who will, like, like, I, I have friends mm-hmm. who, like, will suspend themselves from the fucking uh, things in the roof of a building with, like, hooks in their back. And, mm-hmm. like, it feels 
good to them. Like there's like mm-hmm. a release of endorphins. Like there's pain too, but like they they're not like screaming in agony the whole time, even though you mm-hmm. would think they would be. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's yeah, exactly. Like the, 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 the fact that these people don't report pain or anything isn't weird, and is part of like a long documented history of people experiencing temporary relief from faith healing and stuff like mm-hmm. that. There's nothing mysterious about it. Mm-hmm. Um, for decades, Pentecostal revivalist preachers have done things like pray over people with injured legs and then have them discard their crutches and dance around. And the explanation for how this works is the same as the explanation for why, if you throw your back out, you might find yourself forgetting the pain during a moment of extreme danger or extreme excitement like it's just mm-hmm. sometimes we, our brains override our experience of pain it happens mm-hmm. it's a thing that people do um it's like those stories of women lifting cars off their babies so uh yeah that's how susan casey uncritically reports on a healing session here's how a real journalist michael usher uh reports on a pretty much identical healing session John of God is not a surgeon. He is not a trained doctor. Yet he is presented with a tray of medical instruments, scalpels, and all sorts of scissors. He takes a scalpel and scrapes eyes. He sticks knives and scalpels of some sort down the back of people's throats. And he claims he is getting to tumors. He claims he is getting to the root of people's illnesses. He claims he is getting to what makes people ill or sick. None of it is done with an anesthetic, and you don't even know if what he's using is sterile. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That feels about right. A large part of why John of God's magic seems to work is the fact that he performs it all in public, uh, among and in front of a large and enthusiastic crowd of true believers, many of whom also happen to be desperately ill. John tells them that they can all help fuel his work and heal themselves by sitting in the current and basically meditating for hours while he does his thing. As Susan Casey writes, on any given day, maybe 400 people form the current, spelunking so deeply into their interior realms that they might well be asleep or anesthetized. While doing so, they refrain from opening their eyes or crossing their arms or legs. These things, they are told, Cut off the flow of energy as surely as would kinking a hose. So, this <laughs> at is least she, cool at least she good. said they were told in that one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I, I if I'm throwing a lot of shade on Susan Casey for her bad article here, it's because her choice to platform John of God with no critical thinking or even an attempted examination brought his line of bullshit to the eyes and ears of millions of vulnerable people. Oprah mm-hmm. Winfrey had her on her show in 2010. Um, and one of the millions of women who watched that episode was a Dutch choreographer named Zahira Leinke, uh, Leinke uh, Mouse. Um, she suffered from sexual trauma, and Winfrey's episode, Do You Believe in Miracles, convinced her that Medium John could heal her. She waited in line twice to receive his healing after traveling to Brazil. On her first visit, he prescribed her some of his herb pills. When those didn't do the trick, she went back and he offered her a spiritual cleansing in a rare private session. Uh, from the Washington Post, quote, she waited until everyone in line had their turns until finally she was alone and John of God invited her into his office and then into his bathroom. That's where Mose says he raped her, all while leading her to believe it was part of her healing. Jesus. Now, Mose was one of hundreds and perhaps thousands of rape victims of John of God. And I I want to end on this note to, to get to the point of like what's really happened here, which is that an American industry based on uncritically looking at spiritual healers funneled victims into this guy's hands and allowed him to achieve a level of influence and, and basically like built a spider web for this fucking spider of a man. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to continue the story of John of God in part two. But uh, right now we're going to continue the story of uh, Andrew T of God's uh, <laughs> uh, 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 pluggables. 
Oh, shit. Uh, you know, just uh, go to the Yo, Is This Racist podcast. Um, I'm at Andrew T. His last name is spelled T-I everywhere. Uh, yeah, that's it. That is it. Well, I'm Robert Evans. You can find me on the internet at BehindTheBastards.com. You can find me on Twitter at IWriteOK. Uh, and if you want, uh, I will just sort of rub a machete all over your eyes. <laughs> it's going to cost you, I don't know, let's say I don't take any money, but we do ask for $3,000 donations um, to our, our, our medical center. So give me 3000 bucks, and I'll fucking, I'll rub a machete on whatever part of your body you want. That's the It'll do guarantee. Stuff. That guarantee. is a guarantee. Absolute <laughs> guarantee. Um, I also have a podcast called The Women's War. It's upbeat. It tells you about how to how to make things that don't suck out of your society when it sucks. So maybe listen to that too. And um, I don't know. Go in Christ and cut up people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the podcast. Yeah, it is. Dope. That's part, part one of the podcast. Okay. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, starting May 6th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.